You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and cannabis curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Friday, June 3rd, 2022. This is episode number 294. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's favorite grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, <clears throat> so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about what cannabis and LGBTQ plus rights, ha- re- rights reform have in common. A former Mississippi governor enters the industry. A German conservative supporting legalization. A new psilocybin study. A New York bill to mandate medical cannabis health insurance coverage. How to get free weed in California. Virginia lawmakers want to recriminalize pot and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What you got for us today, Rico? All right, so my story is coming from uh, Andrew Ward over at Green Entrepreneur. Uh, what cannabis and LGBTQ rights reform have in common and why it's important. So happy Pride Month, everybody. Um, cannabis is a communal plant. People from all walks of life, race, creeds, and cultures, economic backgrounds, re- regional origins, and yes, sexual identities benefit from the God-given magical bestowed upon us by weed. Despite what you might think, both access to cannabis and rights movements for the LGBTQ plus community have mutually supported reform for decades. Arguably, neither would exist as they do today if not for the other, said Time Ferris, founder and CEO of cannabis brand Pantheon Collective. Both lanes have had a difficult path, but saw significant progress in the 60s per the article that as states decriminalize homosexual activity, various favorable Kennedy and Johnson era reports on cannabis were submitted. But the 70s took a few steps backward in cannabis, uh, for cannabis under the Nixon administration. Under the Controlled Substance Act, cannabis earned this, its Schedule One label with U.S. government pushing lies upon citizens, saying the drug has maximum abuse potential with no medicinal value. Even after Nixon's own Schaefer Commission recommended decriminalization, and then in the 80s, you know, the era often romanticized by MAGA supporting Republicans as the greatest. They were equally terrible for both movements. The war on drugs was the beginning of peak, uh, peak AIDS and HIV uh, um, time. And excuse me, the war on drugs was beginning to peak as HIV and AIDS dev- devastated the gay community with over 100,000 people dying from AIDS between 81 and 90. President Ronald Reagan notoriously chose not to even mention the disease as a problem until 87, despite First Lady Nancy Reagan, despite um, and her desperate pleas to help from close friend and Hollywood, rock st- uh, Hollywood star Rock Hudson. Long told lies of Nancy, quietly supporting AIDS relief and pushing her husband to show public compassion were silenced by a well-researched 2015 Chris Geidner BuzzFeed article with evidence revealing Hudson died in 1985, nine months after a last-ditch effort to the First Lady, surrounded by staff. Several witnesses present, uh, present claimed the First Lady just said no. 
Meanwhile, her, uh, her husband, Gaslit the Nixon era, war on drugs, headlined by the same Just Say No campaign slogan coined by Nancy on her close dying friend's deathbed. However, reports were beginning to surface of cannabis being an effective supplemental treatment for HIV and AIDS-related symptoms, including wasting syndrome, nausea, chronic pain, and anxiety. Despite the U.S. government knowing this, they doubled down on punishment. Per the article, 1984's Comprehensive Crime Control Act, 1986's Anti-Drug Abuse Act, and the all-too-familiar three-strike sentencing bills were all enacted. Through all this, queer advocates continued to push for equal rights in medical cannabis access. In 1996, the two movements came together, helping to push for California's Prop 20, uh, 215 into being America's first bill legalizing medical cannabis access. And then Green Entrepreneur says, since then, the two movements have remained closely linked for better or for worse. Queer individuals are more likely to experience substance abuse and mental health issues for, um, than straight counterparts. Full Spectrum founder Neil LaCroix said cannabis use is a coping mechanism to combat pains associated with their queer lifestyle, including bullying and full and family separation. And he feels that queer people aren't adequately represented in the cannabis industry either. In 2020, Normal founder Keith Stroop wrote, queer individuals were historically one of the most important groups helping to advance reform in the U.S. since the 60s. Our very own Lara DeCaro uh, did a phenomenal job recently highlighting the work of Dennis Perron and Harvey Milk um, and, and all they did and we are still reaping the benefits of everything that they sacrificed. For the sake of time, I can't run through all the full list of names and accomplishments of the queer activists and uh, advocates and all they've done for and with the public-facing cannabis community, but I'll never forget my own experience during the George Floyd uprising. We were all in lockdown, and um, the biggest support that I got was from my queer friends in the industry, and they helped me do some events during Pride Month, and they actually seated the conversation to the black voices in the room. So damn important and so, so, so like impactful for me as well. My appreciation personally and support for them will never waver as an ally. So as we kick off the first weekend of Pride Month 2022, I'd like to say happy Pride Month to everybody. Reach out, support all of our queer activists, organizations, and owned licensed or not licensed businesses as we need each other in this, we're all in this fight together and we got to move forward. Love you guys. This is Rico Lameet, Dope is Dead on the Street, State of Cannabis News Hour. Back to the rest of the team. Hey, Rico, thanks so much for bringing this story. I have to say, honestly, it's something that I wasn't like as completely aware of, though I have a lot of friends and I feel like I'm an ally. And just seeing this more and more is amazing. I'm so glad that cannabis is even more and more inclusive and that we have so many people who are just, you know, all about it, innovative, bringing more attention and ideas as it becomes more mainstream and something we can talk about. So thanks so much. I feel like this is not something we hear a lot about. Absolutely. And as a, as, a, as a black man in the cannabis industry, um, a lot of our struggles really align with the queer community. And, I, and I've heard a lot of um, questions about um, like rainbow washing uh, recently. And um, it's, it's, it's true. Uh, when everything went down, um, as far as George Floyd um, and all the uprisings around the country, a lot of my white friends reached out to me. Oh, what can I do? What can I do? I was like, platform, like, like, give me the microphone or the money. Period. If you really want to help these targeted uh, communities, support them economically, or support them with the with the, with the platform. Move over and, and give them the platform that you have to amplify their messaging. It's the best thing you could do. Like, like don't just put up rainbow flags and and act like you care when you don't. Help. Act. And the other thing they can do, Rico, is to speak to others in their own space when they hear a homophobic, uh, you know rhetoric and hate speak up to your own kind that would help a lot and you you, all, you also mentioned something that i just wanted to clarify that the increased use of substances substance abuse uh, mood disorders anxiety depression is because of people having to live in the closet because of the homophobia and hate that they are subjected to that is where all that's coming from it's not an inherent thing so i just want to make that clear Hey, Enrico, I just want to say thank you for, you know, calling out two things. One, cannabis is a communal plant, and I think that a friend in weed is a friend indeed, and if you get into cannabis, you start to just not other people so much. That's part of it. And also, thanks for bringing up the 80s. As a child of the 80s, I enlisted in the 80s. I served 
under Reagan ever in the 80s, and I just didn't know how bad it was. And as we look back and as it's glorified, that was not the peak of our society. And so as these MAGA people glorify the 80s, it's like, no, we were children then. I recently watched the first Top Gun, and I think about the movies produced in the 80s, they're cringeworthy. The way we treated women, the way we treated others, it was ridiculous. We were like barbarians at that time. So hopefully we can evolve past the 80s and start saying a little bit more yes. Yes, indeed, man. Appreciate that. Absolutely. <clears throat> Where would we be without Dennis Perone? He was such a leader, you know, and such a colorful, colorful character. I think it's it's so funny how he staged that uh, fake buyers club and to, for a photo op. And then uh, he was like, wow, everybody wants this. And he decided to just go ahead and open it. But man, he had a target on his back his entire adult life. What a guy. Thank you, Dennis Perone. Yes, he was a Vietnam vet who came home to uh, the United States and really fought for civil rights, and uh, which includes gay rights, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the role of cannabis in helping people who are suffering from AIDS and uh, allowing them to increase their quality of life, or in some cases, avoid death altogether, uh, cannot be understated. And I think that um, if it wasn't for, um, I would say, galvanized activists who didn't give an F and were ready to put their bodies and lives on the line to change society, uh, we would still be where we were in the 1980s. And so kudos to the uh, LGBTQ community because many of um, your leaders are really the leaders of the cannabis community. Yeah, the 80s really sucked. I watched Anchorman last night, or I tried to, uh, and I couldn't I couldn't finish it. It's it so misogynistic. It was awful. No more 80s. No, thank you. Susan, Anchorman came out in like 2002. No, it did not. <laughs> no, it didn't. Are you serious? Oh Holy shit. You guys watch it again or try to watch it again. It, it's, Wow. 2004. Okay. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my God. I guess we are progressing. We, you know, maybe. Ever so slowly. Ever so slowly. Um, I, I still think the 80s were fucking awesome. No surprise of there. I think you must have missed my earlier statement, Jason. Yes. The 80s were amazing. Amazing time in American history. No, they weren't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now I'm laughing, Jason, because you're coming into it. It's like the 80s were not a good time. They were straight cringeworthy. We were misogynistic, ignorant people saying no to the plant, denying others. And I'm telling you, I served. I enlisted to serve this nation in the 80s. And only now am I realizing how backwards we were. We just need to accept it and move forward. I mean, the price of weed was way higher. You know, there's so many things that was better in the 80s. But, but Jason, the story was about the the struggle of the queer community now that was that was 100 percent real struggle and dennis brown definitely <laughs> needs to be recognized uh for for his role in all of that because the reality is that we did not have the aids epidemic in the 80s and 90s we would not have medical cannabis we would still be living in draconian drug policies of the 80s still to this day if those events did not happen and net Go, say it again, Omar. I said maybe the 80s weren't so great when people were going away on these mandatory minimum federal sentences. Yeah, and Nancy Reagan's idea is just say no. Like, that's going to work. Children, just say no. Well, I mean, let's not forget Joe Biden being the author of the 94 crime bill. All right, shall we keep smoking the news? Let's keep smoking the news. <laughs> Up next, the longest continuously operating retailer who actually benefited from California's Prop 215 back in the day is across the pond right now. It is having bad service, and this is why it came in late on that last conversation and it was championing the merits of the 80s. Either way, I love him to death. And it, 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 the next story is Mr. Jason Beck. What you got for us, my man? Oh, yeah. Coming directly from the pond right outside of the Ritz-Carlton in London, England. And today, my story comes from Mississippi, where a former Mississippi governor enters the medical marijuana industry with guess what, guys? Guess what? Yes, that's right. That's correct. It's a testing facility. Former Mississippi governor Ronnie Musgrove is joining an executive hospital team from Magnolia Tech Labs 
This new business will be a state-of-the-art testing facility service for the state's new medical marijuana industry. Beginning yesterday, the Mississippi Department of Health opened applications for growers, dispensaries, and testing facilities to operate in the medical marijuana businesses. These applications are required to be filled in order to receive certification. Uh, Quentin Wetchell and Dr. Kenneth Williams, as well as a Nashville partner, uh, Bapa Mukarivi, have developed a comprehensive healthcare system in underserved areas of the North Delta. Over the years, they have developed a friendship with Governor Musgrove, <clears throat> leading the most recent business venture. Governor Musgrove's roots are where we have planted our healthcare flag, and his experience has brought us a common bond. We share a passion of helping communities that were losing their hospitals, said Whittle. Musgrove had, had been involved in the trade association that helped get the initiative passed. No one was really talking about safely testing of the product at that time, and we knew that was going to be a very necessary part of the public trust in the industry. Musgrove has political experience in healthcare after serving as the chairman of the U.S. Health and Human Services Department Committee on Rural Health. He has also served as visiting healthcare policy fellow at John Hopkins University, Bloomberg School of Public Health, and having a background in state government, I knew that testing needed to be closely held public-private partnership that would service both the public and the industry. When we started talking with the Mississippi Department of Public Health about what testing should be required, they came to fully understand why this was so important to bring credibility to the industry, said Musgrove. Witchell is also a former Jackson City Council member and current chairman and CEO of Progressive Health Systems Incorporated, a non-for-profit hospital organization, and voters in Mississippi and the legislature passed this law under the assumption that the industry would, would produce a product that is safe and effective, said co-founder Witchell. The people who have worked so hard to make this industry a reality in Mississippi and the patients who are depending on this product deserve to have confidence that the product is safe from pesticides, heavy metals, and other pollutants. They also expect that every time they use this product, it does what their doctors tell them it will do. William serves as a doctor of internal medicine in Holy Springs. He also owns Alliance Health Systems in Holy Springs, a purchase made after the hospital was in danger of closing back in 1999. This is very personal to me, Governor Musgrove added. I've added several, I've had several conversations with my late wife, Melody, before she passed away last year from leukemia. She knew that cannabis would have helped her with pain from her disease and from the side effects of her cancer treatment. I want to be involved in this industry and help it grow so that people across our state will not have to suffer like she did. The Hippocratic Oath clearly states, first do no harm, said Dr. Williams, for doctors to comfortably and confidently prescribe cannabis to their patients, they must be rock solid in the knowledge and that the product that they are prescribing is healthy, safe, and effective. Quality testing will help bring that confidence not only to doctors across our state, but to the patients as well. Well, congratulations, Governor Musgrave. You've just entered the cannabis space and the kind of the most lamest space in the testing space, where it's the most convoluted and, uh, you know, over, uh, you know, giving giving false narratives, so to say, with all these THC-boosted bullshit levels. And this is Jason Beck reporting from across the pond for the State of Cannabis News Hour. So it's the part of the industry that's most prone to corruption. You said it, not me, Susan. Also, it's also non-plant touching. And yes, it's the cannabis industry. Yes, it's a support. But sometimes I have, you know, look, I love, shout out SC Labs, respect, been in it since the traditional market. But a lot of these new labs that are cropping up are, you know, getting licenses through their lawyers. They're not plant touching. They get all the benefits of, of like banking and all these kinds of things. It's like be plant touching if you really want to help, my opinion. And at the same time, because 280E does not necessarily apply to cannabis testing labs as they are not engaged in trafficking Schedule One controlled substances, they do not have the same burdens as the rest of the cannabis industry. That's interesting that you say that it's non-plant touching. So that's how the government considers it? Oh, yeah. you're testing plant touching is a bunch of bad. I don't think so. I, don't, I think it's really about so. whether one is trafficking a controlled substance. One and can be the phone without touching and still be trafficking. Yeah, that's not what the IRS think, says. The IRS still considers testing labs plant touching entities. Don't, no, don't the labs have to get that DA certification where they're handling it as a Schedule 1? So 
that's why they're fully compliant and can kind of claim taxes and whatnot. Not, yeah, not, not necessarily cannabis also- labs, but other certain other labs like blood working labs and anything like that, you would have a DEA certification license. There's actually a provision of the Federal Controlled Substances Act, which exempts any any entity that's enforcing state or local laws from the application of the CSA. So I think there's arguments to be made that testing labs are not plant touching, but those required creative legal minds. I don't know, Omar, if you're t- if you're testing cannabis, you're a plant touching entity as far as I'm concerned. Yes, you are, but you're not trafficking schedule one controlled substances. You're just you, te- you technically from- are you technically are helping in the in the and in, in the trafficking of those substances because those items wouldn't be able to be sold without your lab's approval. And really, and that legal interpretation question. We could, we could debate on about this for hours, which I love. One hundred percent, Omar. I take back my clowning of the governor then, because yeah, perhaps you know it is plant touching. Perhaps it's a little bit more of a struggle than I realize. And so, look, kudos for any support, especially from a governor of a southern state. And kudos to creative attorneys like Omar Figueroa. Shall we keep smoking some news? It is Friday. Just your ordinary man cave wallpaper. She's an all-around data cruncher that's known known a thing or two about numbers and shit. An educator, a brand strategist, a healthcare consultant, and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. Thank you so Liz much. Rogan. <laughs> Thank you Thank so much. You. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Happy first Friday of June, and thank you for joining us today. My story comes from the LA Times by Adam Shorn. The headline reads, California medical marijuana patients can get free weed. Here's how. So as many residents of California know, they've regulated cannabis as medicine for more than 25 years. Doctors have been recommending cannabis for a plethora of conditions from arthritis, cancer treatments, insomnia, pain, and seizures. Even drug companies are legally prescribing it, even though there's still the Schedule One classification, which means insurance companies will not foot the bill. So yet again, patients are left to fend for themselves. Well, this article focuses on compassion programs and how California patients are able to get their medicine free of charge. The story starts off about uh, with focusing on an LA patient named Charlene Modest, who suffers from chronic uterine fibroids, and she uses about a gram of cannabis oil per day for her medical needs. She is currently getting it through the Ease Compassion Program, and she's getting approximately $1,000 worth of products completely free of charge from Ease every couple of months. And she says the cost savings are, quote, incalculable. Modeste, uh, Modeste, Modeste, sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, discovered Ease's program from Dear Cannabis. And Dear Cannabis is an organization that coordinates directly with compassion programs for cannabis and the companies that are donating the products. So Dear Cannabis connected her with This Is Jane Project. This Is Jane Project is an LA nonprofit that works with women and non-binary survivors of trauma. So these partners work with the Ease Compassion Program that helped verify her eligibility and literally put the wheels in motion, getting her medicine delivered directly to her doorstep. I want to mention they do include criteria with these, such as income, medical diagnosis, need, etc. There are other organizations that also assist in this. Several include the Bay Area Americans for Safe Access, Operation EVAC, which is, stands for Educating Veterans About Cannabis, and Weed for Warriors Project, which is a veteran support group founded by Sean Kiernan. He says, quote, this, is a for- this affordable access to weed can be the difference between life and death. He continues, for the veterans who are over drinking, we found that when cannabis was available, they drank less. So what we're seeing is where cannabis is available and accessible to the veteran community, they're seeing lower suicides, lower overdoses, and lower domestic violence. So, end quote, Kiernan says that this uh, cost conundrum is uh, facing a 100% disabled U.S. veteran. He kind of gives some good info in here, so I'm going to quote him a little. If the veteran receives a monthly compensation of just over $3,000. So he's saying if you're trying to substitute for these opiates and other things, you need your daily regimen, obviously. He's saying an eighth of flour is about three joints, if you think about like three grams. If you smoke that every day, about $40 an eighth after the taxes, you know, and he's saying that's not the high-end flour, it's kind of more boof. So $40 a day times 30 days is $1,200. So basically that's over 40% of that veteran's monthly income. So I'm going to stop uh, quoting Sean there. 
So Ease itself um, has delivered supposedly more than 100,000 THC-containing items since 2019, uh, according to their partners. They deliver in the greater Los Angeles area, San Jose, Sacramento, and the Bay Area. They also rely on their partner, partner organizations to you know, help vet these recipients and get patients in these areas the deliveries that they need. The really cool thing is if you click at the bottom on this article, at the bottom, they have a list of these. So there's links for the compassion uh, and cannabis resource list. So I highly recommend you check that out. Also, um, there are qualifying patients, uh, programs for patients who don't live in those specific delivery areas. So since uh, the passage of the dentist Perone and the Brownie Mary Act in 2019, um, because now these cannabis products can be donated um, without paying that hefty sales tax, cannabis brands and dispensaries across the state have teamed up to provide this medication. Um, Sean Kiernan also recommends that you check with your uh, dispensary's website and or even ask a bud tender if they do have a compassionate cannabis donation program. And I know Weed for Warriors does a lot of drops at a lot of stores, so veterans can go pick it up there also. So it's not always delivery. But I thought this was a great article as patients are offering, often the ones suffering in this. And I know as business owners and other things, we are really happy to be able to provide these products for these patients. So I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about this. This is Liz Rogan. I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. It's great news and it's, it's an awesome program too. I know Jason's intimately uh, familiar with the, uh, the the programming and um and please 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 everybody click on the link if you're in California and find out like how you can participate. Yes, I love Dear Cannabis. They do an amazing job. They're one of our contributors. They make a lot of RSO oil that we give out to a number of different patients in need of that at zero cost to them. You know, I think this is a, a great um, heartwarming story, but California medical marijuana patients getting free weed, would that have been news like seven years ago before Prop 64 became the law? That was just par for the course. Of course, medical patients always got free cannabis. That was the whole predicate of having collectives and cooperatives. And now, yeah, that, that, that. I agree. With, Go ahead, Liz. I agree with you completely, Omar. I mean, it's like, and then a lot of people I knew who people would call a trap or other things almost always have someone that they're treating as a compassionate thing, which I think is amazing about this industry. I think this is news, because, obviously, because of where we are now. And with all these crazy laws, I think that legalize it, bro, wasn't quite what we thought. Yeah, and it, it's it's very difficult for legal companies to make money right now. So how how are they supposed to be able to do these compassionate things um, with things the way they are? I, I just read, I didn't get to read the article because it was behind a paywall, but there was an article today about Ease having to lay off a bunch of their employees. So, you know, this this might stop happening. And I also wanted to give a shout out to Sweet Leaf Joe. He's been doing this for over 20 years in the Bay Area. And thank you for saying that, uh, um, Susan and Omar. Um, I think we had a guest come on stage about a month ago, uh, highlighting the fact that the reason why we are where we are right now is because cannabis is medicine. And with all the capitalism flooding the market right now, um, it's easy to lose sight of that. And it's easy to forget that cannabis is medicine. It's helped countless people along the way. And it's the reason why we're in the place where we are right now having conversations about legalization. So cannabis is medicine. We need to continue pushing for compassion programs across the U.S. as capitalism makes its way into the into the industry. That's 100 percent true. And I'm, it's like it brings me a lot of faith in our industry that we are doing this proactively, because one of the things cited in 64 was that patients would be left behind. I think we saw it in Colorado you know, with the separation with A and M, and all of a sudden the M was kind of like hardly anything in the counter. Then at least in California, you could just come in and get your discount with your script. So you had access to all the products, still not enough, right? And so this, as you said, Rico, was founded on patients. And we knew going into 64 that patients might be left behind. And kudos to all the companies that are stepping up and proactively filling that gap because patients should come first. And honestly, this should be covered by insurance. And of course, we should have universal health care, but I'm going down a rabbit hole. And shout out to everyone that helped work on SB 34, which is the legislation in place that allows us to get back to our roots as far as on the Compassionate Use Act to being able to give patients their medicine for free. Omar, is it is it 
this compassionate program, did it exist in other states besides California or was it just a California thing? Well, Prop 215 um, was for patients initially and then collectives and cooperatives, up, which was kind of the model up until 2016. That was a, a California uh, creature, but I think there's compassionate programs all over. Yeah, and Omar, since you're working out of New York now, uh, what is what is New York going to do? New York has like a, a parallel system, one highly regulated for um, the medical, and then there's going to be like a um, more inclusive, diverse adult use industry. But as far as like incentivizing uh, giveaways for patients, they have yet to do that, and hopefully they will. They'll put that into their... Um, legislation you know new york has a, a very different genesis it, it was not like a voter initiative that was put into place by the voters it was a legislative um mandate um so i think it, it just you know it's it came into the cannabis industry at a different stage of its development when it was more adult focused don't hold your breath omar yeah, I, again, Jason, I disagree. I think that the compassion comes from the plant itself. I'm going to say a radical statement that weed makes you think clearer and do the right thing. And so having been in Virginia where I was like, oh, here's a southern state and having folks share, share cannabis, have a similar program to what we had in terms of collectives, I believe that as recreational sweeps that part of the country that advocates and folks will figure out how to bring compassion because the plant demands it. That's just me being faithful. I think you're right. I fully agree with that, Guy. I think people expand their awareness and uh, become take off like the ego blinders when they start using cannabis, especially if they're using it with intention. 100%. That, that's how I was able to get out of the cloud of brainwashing that I had my whole life uh, from the Mormon church if it wasn't for cannabis. Um, you know, I think it would have taken me a lot longer to evolve. But we're going to relight the room really quickly. Uh, unless, Jason, you wanted to make one final point. Oh, no, I was just going to introduce Dr. Felicia, but go ahead and relight. We're going to relight. You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Often the opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any exceptions in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. Rico, was that your Rico Suave voice? I thought we fixed that, Susan. <laughs> got to re-record that. <laughs> 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 All right, so up next, I, I got this one, and you got Dr. Felici after, um, uh, Jason. All right. So in, in the mean ne northeast Long Beach streets just off of Karen Lane, the neighbors call her Nanograms, <laughs> visionary leader of our scrappy, unrefined news team, the highly connected not founder of nonprofit JustForCare.org, State of Cannabis Events and News Hour, an inspiration to us all, and the children's book author that remains a thorn in Jimmy Fallon's side. Come to the stage next, Susan Sorries. What you got? <laughs> You're so funny. Yes, I do live next to Karen Lane. Uh, okay, let's keep the conversation going about New York. My headline today comes from The Thrillist, and it is, New York will ban cartoons, neon colors, and stoner slang from cannabis packaging by Serena Tara. These are the new rules as of this Wednesday. It looks like the goal is to have legal products in New York look much different than the illicit ones. But copycats are going to copy. Yeah? No. Say goodbye to punny names referencing candy as well as bright neon colors and, quote, bubble text letters. Not sure what that is. Uh, cartoon characters will also be part of the ban, and manufacturers won't be allowed to feature celebrities or individuals who look younger than 21 years of age on the product packaging. Packaging that includes or features anything that could be appealing to those under 21, the legal age to consume in New York, will not be allowed, and health claims promoting a, quote, safe or, quote, organic product will also be banned. 
A symbol specifically indicating that the product contains THC will be required, and the label will also need to specify that the product is for people over 21 years of age and that it comes from New York. <laughs> Packaging will also have to be child-resistant. Stoner lingo will be outlawed in advertising. Ads won't be able to refer to the product using terms such as stoner, sticky bud, or weed, and images featuring people smoking or vaping won't be allowed. Ads will also be required to include warnings about cannabis use risks, and their placement will need to be at least 500 feet away from schools, libraries, child care facilities, and playgrounds. Starting on June 15th, the regulations will undergo a 60-day public comment period after which they are set to be finalized. So go comment, all you New Yorkers. You've got 60 days to voice your concerns, uh, and I do believe that they will listen to you. Legal cannabis sales are expected to start later this year in New York State, although an exact date has yet to be announced. Neighboring New Jersey recently began its own legal sales, as have some upstate dispensaries located on Native American reservations. I can't wait to see how this plays out. We got to save all these children from all the neon signs. Neon colors are scary. <laughs> what? <laughs> I would think they would. I would think they would want them to be neon, like warning. <laughs> This is such an obvious thing. Like what we what I, what I didn't hear, and maybe they discussed it, Susan, is who's going to review these things with so many variables. I think it it sets it up for an advisory board to essentially make the packaging look like Canada, right? With all these rules, it's like anything can be deemed a stoner term, right? Loud is that a stoner term? So loud pack would they have to change their name, for instance? This is like. I, I, yeah, shame. I hope that folks who are involved in New York comment and push back on this, right? Some things are reasonable, a symbol is reasonable, but when you get into like colors and this notion of a subjective, like what is appealing to children, again, tax and regulate like alcohol. We definitely do not do that with alcohol. So no, no celebrity endorsements. What is the point of that? So again, I see a ton of cannabis shame here. Hopefully they get their head on straight and realize that this is totally unacceptable. Hamstringing the industry is only going to support the illicit market. I yeah, do I'm, support I'm you, oh, Go ahead, doctor, please. I, I do support the um, organic label. I, I really see that a lot on some brands of CBDs, especially. And it's a disservice to those who actually put in the time and expense to make their product organic. So I, I, I do support that part of it. Well, no, but doctor, what they're saying is that we won't be allowed to say it. What they should be saying is we're going to have a robust certification program so that if you make these claims, they're true. I totally appreciate, you know, making sure that the customer is getting truthful information. But what I think they're saying is there's no way that we can make health claims around cannabis because they don't believe them to be legit. I believe that's what the article is stating. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, Guy. And I also, I also believe that they're going to have to come out with a list of certified stoner terms and definitions that are going to be outlawed because they're not going to be able to just keep it that vague as just stoner yep, terms. And we'll make up new ones. Exactly. I agree is Mike, with... Is, is, is Bloomberg behind this shit? I, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting flashbacks. <laughs> of a big gulp band I, coming to the New York market here. Well, that's I agree because with, Bloomberg with, is so short, Rico, that he wanted to ban the big gulps. I agree with Dr. Felicia and Omar and Guy. I think you guys are really correct in that. I want to see organic labeling, but something that we can actually get behind. I think this is kind of insane, too, because if you look at a lot of California companies who I'm most familiar with, I mean, they have ones that are Ziploc baggies that are called weed, you know, and um, and then this colors. I mean, that's that's marketing right now. That's branding. Go to the store and look at ice cream. It's like neon insane. So I think that this is totally ludicrous. Agreed. And, and at the same time, all this tacky, you know, trying to ban tacky advertising, I think it's a futile task, but it's a way to distinguish all the trap operators currently existing in New York City who do focus on the tacky advertising and everything that's laid out in this article. Um, and so it, it's going to force like creative minds to develop new advertising, new packaging. It's going to be more upscale, more understated, more Aspen, less, you know, urban dispensary with neon uh, green um, 
pot leaf. I'm pretty sure that, that, that nightclubs, strip clubs, and bars all have neon signage too. Are they going to shut them down? Well, R- Rico and, and Omar, it's only going to make the trap market survive that much more because there's absolutely zero enforcement in New York for it. Are the celebrity brands screwed? No, they'll, in just, New York? no, they'll just become trap brands and then they don't have to worry about paying taxes. Yeah, they're going to be in the speakeasies. The speakeasies are all the rage in New York now. And yeah, it's like that's where most people are going. New York should be learning their lesson instead of being powered by cannabis shame. It's like if you don't empower the tradi- the market that you're starting to st- tr- start to establish, the traditional market will win out. They have a deep-rooted traditional market that, as I don't know who just said it, it's not being enforced. These speakeasies are everywhere. Why would you sell into a compliant market when it's bullshit and you can't advertise and you can't push your goods? And you have to pay taxes and overregulation fees. And when when you go to the uh, when you go to any of these events, any of these expos, and a lot of people do, you know, just trying to pick up as much free product as they can. It's just all of it. It looks all of it is unregulated. I don't even know how they're going to begin to regulate and and control and and prevent this from happening. It's a problem for the kids, too, because all of these products that look like candy are going to just keep being problematic for uh, for pediatric populations getting into them. Let's keep smoking the news. Yeah, there goes the kids again. But nonetheless, one visit to this office is sure to get you access to all kinds of blue pills. All shapes, sizes, and colors are always included and welcome in this safe space. She's the Plants for Life CEO and a dual board certified physician, always promoting cannabis as medicine. And if you play your cards right, she will mix some yellow ones with your blue ones to make a greener experience. Coming next to the stage, it's Dr. Felicia Dawson. What kind of medicine do you have us for today, doctor? Thank you so much, Jason. And please tell the queen I said hello. Will do. Happy Friday, everyone. (laughs) My headline comes from Marijuana Moment, New York State approves bill to mandate medical marijuana health insurance coverage by Kyle Yeager. The New York Senate approves a bill, approved a bill on Wednesday that would require public health insurance programs to cover medical marijuana expenses and clarify that private insurers are allowed to do the same. The legislation sponsored by Diane Savino, Democrat, moved through to committee before passing the Senate by a vote of 53 to 10 and is now being transmitted to the assembly where it awaits action in the Ways and Means Committee. SBS 8837 would amend state public health and social services statutes to address one of the most significant barriers to patient access to medical cannabis, the out-of-pocket cost of medicine. For thousands of patients, medical marijuana is a safer and more effective medication than other drugs, especially opioids, the justification memo attached to the bill says. While it can be prohibitively expensive for many patients, especially in the absence of insurance coverage, it may often be less expensive than what their insurance coverage pays for other medications. Responding to concerns from fellow lawmakers on the floor ahead of the vote about the potential cost of legislation, Sabino said that it is time for New York State to lead the way on this issue. Some state is going to have to force this issue, she said. I believe that our state is the one that should lead the way on this. If a bill is enacted, public health insurance programs that would be subject to the proposed policy change include Medicaid, Child Health Plus, elderly pharmaceutical insurance coverage, essential plan programs, and workers' compensation. Additionally, the legislation will allow the state health commissioner to certify medical marijuana dispensaries as Medicaid providers, as long as they only sell medical cannabis and not any other drugs. If passed in the assembly and signed by the governor, the bill will take effect April 2023. Similar legislation was filed in the assembly in 2018, but did not advance out of committee. As a physician, I can tell you that one of the biggest barriers to improving health care in this country is access to that care. America spends the most of any developed country on health care while simultaneously having the worst outcomes. Even people with private insurance are having trouble meeting their ever-increasing deductibles and co-pays. I predict that the pharmaceutical and insurance industries will be on opposite ends of this issue. Insurance companies that see the light and the numbers will save money by allowing coverage of medical cannabis. For seniors alone, medical cannabis can replace, on average, five pharmaceuticals. That will be a huge saving to the patient while causing less side effects. Way to go, New York. This is Dr. Felicia Dawson reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. 
What do you all think? Never thought I'd see this. Love it. We should all have insurance covering our cannabis needs. Yeah, this is huge comparison to what we were just saying about New York. It seems like an emotional roller coaster because, like, yeah, now it's like, yeah, kudos, New York. This should be covered by medical coverage. Did, did, did New York say where it's going to get the funds to pay for this program? Nope. The article did not state that. But so we always find the money. We always find the money. We always it's find be the money for what we want to. Medical cannabis. We always find the money for what we want to pay for. I, I agree. And I think. This is my pushback to you and your conservative crew, Jason, Gretchen, and, and all you guys. You always say, oh, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to pay for that? You motherfuckers pay for absolutely anything <laughs> across uh, across the pond or wherever uh, um, your interests No, you No, lie. you're not confusing us with Democrats. We do not create these Oh, yes, you do. No, yeah, that's yes, news. yes, you do. How is it? Find a way to pay for absolutely everything, including police, heavy-handed police enforcement, but you don't want to Police are a service to the community. Need. How was that tax cut to the rich uh, pay for, uh, Jason? How was that that's, done? That's, How, what did y'all get that money that, from? That's trickle-down economics. We put more of those those economics back into our communities, but more jobs, more uh, more raises, and spending more money. <laughs> trickle-down economics works? Is that what you're saying, Jason? Does anyone fuck believe yeah, that? Fuck yeah, trickle economics works. Oh Bullshit. Bogan. You're talking about the 80s. Trickle some economics on me. So you like so you say like, so you like showers, golden showers? Is that what you're saying, Jason? Just only if it's a trickle. Oh my well, god! Well, I will have to say that you know, giving people access to health care is a big money saver because when people don't have access to care, their disease progresses to a later stage, requires more resources and money, which we all pay for, and results in worse outcomes and more deaths. Thank you. That's exactly right, doctor. That's the that's the whole thing about our medical. We don't want to have universal health care and have preventative medicine, but yet we end up paying. Because the fact is, when people are dying and they show up at the hospital with no money, we have to deal with it anyway. So why are we not getting our act together, sponsoring preventative medicine, and keeping the overall general population healthy by hopefully giving them cannabis? Well said. Thank you, Dr. Felicia. I love this article, but I am a little skeptical as if this is something that can actually happen because of the challenges with the actual insurance companies and then the Schedule One status. They're going to put a million prior authorizations around it and prevent it from ever actually being paid. I mean, but they'll say, sure, we pay for it. They just, you know, won't actually pay for it. Yeah, do you remember all the hoops, all, all the hoops that you had to go through just to get a medical license in New York when they only had medical and the small amount of selection of products that you're able to purchase from actual retailers? that provide medical cannabis. Um, I'm willing to bet there's gonna be so much red tape around this insurance type of program that maybe like maybe 1% of the population that is eligible for medical cannabis is able to actually take advantage of it and get the, get the uh, cares that they need. Well, I do agree with, with, with both your statements as well as Dr. Mary's um, uh, there, Jason. Um, I think an easy way to clap back against all of that is class action lawsuits as well as public outcry um, about these insurance companies pushing opioids on us. You're going to push all these opioids on us. You're going to uh, you're going to clamor to all the benefits of opioids, but you're not going to push forward and, and, and provide access to cannabis. is 100% hypocritical, and you are killing Americans. We should take it there. Yeah, we're 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 uh, we need to keep smoking the news. But I wanted to give Raven from the audience a chance to have the last word. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I was I was listening. Um, I think it was past. I, I wanted to make a comment about uh, the comparison to D.C. We have a medical marijuana program, but um, it is linked to your health insurance. But it is funded by the patients themselves. So I don't know if New York is leaning toward that but that's all i wanted to comment on thank you absolutely that's, that's interesting i'd like to learn more about that too so up next he is the founder of a boutique cannabis law firm with bi-coastal offices located in california and new york also ncia director legal publisher author aganjier a purple belt and high style brazilian jujitsu so don't be surprised in the cipher when he ends up breaking your wrist and walking away if you decide to make the poor life choice of fucking up the rotation. Omar Figueroa, what you got for us this Friday, my man? 
Always remember to tap so you don't get your wrist broken. Uh, thank you, Rico. Fabulous Friday, everyone. My story is from High Times by A.J. Harrington. The headline is, Virginia lawmakers want to recriminalize pot. The story, Virginia state lawmakers are seeking to make public possession of more than four ounces of cannabis a crime again, less than a year after the legislature voted to legalize recreational cannabis for adults. Last year, the Virginia General Assembly passed legislation to legalize possession of, to, of up to an ounce of pot for personal use. Uh, and they're using that antiquated term pot, so I'll just use it just for kicks. Possession of between one ounce and one pound of pot was made a civil infraction carrying a fine of no more than $25, while possession of more than one pound of weed remained a felony. But under a budget proposal released by state lawmakers over the weekend, public possession of more than four ounces of cannabis would become a class three misdemeanor criminal offense punishable by a fine of up to $500. A second offense would be a class two misdemeanor with convictions subject to a sentence of six months in jail and a fine of up to $1,000. The bipartisan budget compromise is supported by Republican House Appropriations Chair Barry Knight and Democratic Senate Finance and Appropriations Chair Janet Howell, according to a report from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. We didn't get all we wanted, but I think in view of what we got, we are very satisfied, Knight, the Republican said after the budget proposal was released on Sunday evening. I don't think that the Senate prevailed over the House or the House prevailed over the Senate. Last year, the Joint Legislative Audit and Review Commission recommended that Virginia follow the lead of other states and make possession of larger amounts of cannabis a misdemeanor, a change he said was desired by police. It's more in line with what other states are doing, so we're not an anomaly out there by ourselves, said Knight. We know our law enforcement wanted it. But cannabis activists and some lawmakers, including State Senator L. Luis Lucas, opposed the change in the budget proposal. I voted against this before, and I am working to stop this latest effort to criminalize marijuana, is tweeted. This is targeted at black and brown people who have been overcharged with these crimes in the past. We do not need to go back to the past with these laws. Chelsea Higgs Weiss, executive director of the group Mar Marijuana Justice Virginia, joined other activist organizations in an email sent to Howell on Sunday evening. Please stop finding more ways to criminalize Virginians, she wrote, adding, let's work on righting the wrongs from the failed and destructive prohibition. Virginia officials must not allow the budget document to become a legislative workaround to enforce the will of the administration at the exclusion of the voice and will of the people, Higgs Weiss added. The budget proposal is not the first time Virginia lawmakers have tried to roll back the cannabis legalization bill passed last year. During this year's regular session of the General Assembly, Senator Adam Evan introduced a bill to regulate cannabis sales that would have created a new misdemeanor possession offense. The General Assembly will meet in special session to consider the budget proposal, including the provision to recriminalize of more than four ounces of pot. My take is Virginia law enforcement want to continue to criminalize those with a pound or less of a natural plant? Stop putting peaceful human beings behind cages. Go investigate some real crime. The headline is Virginia lawmakers want to recriminalize pot. This is Omar Figueroa, lawyer, author, and Ganjie instructor reporting from Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan, the traditional territory of the Lenape Nation for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you for the story, uh, Omar. Uh, it's, they never can get enough of filling prisons with black and brown bodies. They're going to use that smell of uh, cannabis to stop somebody and get them on something else, or if they you know, even survive the police encounter. So it's just, an, just trying to keep the prison industrial complex going. Yeah, and you put your, your finger right on it. They're too, why don't you use it as a pretext for other criminal investigations? Because really, like, possession of cannabis is not a crime. This is a natural right that humans have had for centuries. And remember, this is uh, the Republicans doing this out in Virginia that took over the entire cannabis legalization movement that was uh, formerly run by the Democrats. Just so you guys know.
Jason, you got to take your boys home. <laughs> you guys are so, <laughs> so silly. No, I work from within to create and inspire change, and I have no problem working with Governor Yunkin. Uh, his chief of staff is a very close friend of mine, and so um, there, there are things that I'm sure that you guys will learn about in the near future that you don't know about yet. More problems that they're going to fix that they create themselves. It's the Republican Let's way. Let's move on to Gee. Uh, we, right. We're about out of time. Coming up next, this OG veteran and dope dads known and respected by peers as a steadfast defender of the culture, always first to stand up for the rights of legacy operators, the co-founder and CEO of Papa and Barkley is coming to the stage next. Take a seat, y'all. It's time to listen to the gospel of Gee Record. Thank you, Jason. Good morning, Rico. Good morning, Susan. Today, my article is coming out of High Times, and it says... German conservative politician expresses his support for cannabis legalization. The break in the ranks makes Munich CSU city councilor and medical doctor Hans Thies, one of the first center-right politicians in the German government to express support for recreational reform. Hans Thies has made German history. He just came out publicly in favor of recreational cannabis reform. This does not make him unusual right now as the country moves, however slowly, towards halting, however, slowly and haltingly towards new can, a new cannabis reality. What, what does is where he's from, both geographically and politically. Geographically, he represents constituents from a wealthy city in Bavaria, one of the country's largest and most metropolitan cities. That said, Bayern is sometimes referred to as the Texas of Germany, not mentioned the most rule-based state, not to mention the most rule-based state in the country. In the words of Thies in a recent interview, Bavaria already pursues a relatively strong rule of law policy and pursues things that are classified as illegal, perhaps a little bit more consistently than is the case in other federal states. This is one of the reasons that the state has the highest number of official cannabis patients. Doctors know that prescriptions are a form, are, are a form of protection for people too sick to, that are too sick to be arrested. Even more intriguing, his stance now fascinate, is now a fascinating political development with national implications. The first is that Thies is a cardiologist. The second is that he's a member of CSU-CDU, a hybrid alliance of two political parties in Germany, which are center-right. This alliance that just lost power during the last national election is also the party that opposed both patient home grow and moving forward with recreational cannabis reform. For that reason, a great deal of attention is being paid to Thies in recent public comments. That said, the attention he's gotten from pro-cannabis press has appeared to take him by surprise. These also said that the comment from the Traffic Light Coalition to move forward with reform was the main reason he has now spoken up about the issue. So in German politics and cannabis reform, compared to the United States, German politics are much more civil. German politicians are certainly more process-oriented and can, when inspired, pass resolutions in a hurry. For example, the Bundestag has just passed legislation creating a vastly reduced public transportation ticket for the summer, about 30 bucks for all local transportation to offset the cost of rising food and energy. There's also a level of mutual collegial respect there is that's absolutely missing here in the U.S. If the federal government says they're going to get something done, the consensus is driven. Overarching tendency of politicians here switches into a different mode. As Thies said, the fact is that recreational cannabis reform is now going to become German law it's a bit silly to just oppose it. So look, I wanna stop here. You guys can read the rest of the article. It talks a little bit about Germany, which maybe is not so relevant for us, but what struck me in this article, you guys, and you guys know I served and I'm a patriot, it's this notion of mutual respect at the federal level, getting stuff done at the federal level. Why is that missing? What, 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 what jumped out to me at this article as I'm reading it is like, awesome, I'm so glad that in Germany they're making progress and they have right, Side, the right can actually understand when they're wrong, correct their mistakes. And it just puts into sharp relief what we're desperately missing here in our country. And that truly, truly makes me sad. So in one way, I'm super excited for the Germans to have safe access and so on. But in one way, I'm so sad that our government is so dysfunctional and we see other examples of how it should be done. I'll leave it there. Let's this is Royal Court reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. 
It's great to have a good example. And uh, hey, Germany, good luck. We'd love to have you on the show. We do have some listeners there. But we've reached the top of the hour and the end of the week. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, you can catch it anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. Thank you audience for being an important part of our show. You've had your daily dose. Now go out there and make a difference. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. I think I think that was the last little bit of mercury and retrograde eking its way out to you, Susan. It's all good. Be gone. Be <laughs> gone. Mercury Gatorade. Oh my God. Thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend. Hey, what are you still doing here? The show's over. You just don't want to leave, do you? I know. We love you too. Help us grow by grabbing some of our merch. We've got hats, bags, hoodies, water bottles, all the standards. It would really mean a lot. Go to justsaycare.org backslash shop today. Really, I mean it today. With the supply chain issues, you might get it by Christmas. The good news is that inflation will be so bad, you'll be locked into a low, low price. Remember, justsaycare.org. Thanks. Okay, go listen to another podcast. Bye.